Matthew chapter 5, let's read. The Bible reads verse 1, and seeing the multitude, uh, he went up to a mountain, or he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came and said to him, or his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth, and he taught them. What did he do? He taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who are merciful, or blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Someone say pure in heart. Yeah, the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and they persecute you, and they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Anybody ever had someone speak evil things falsely, not, not, not that it was true now, I'm talking about falsely, all right, for God's name's sake. Now rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is going to be a pretty difficult assignment because of the familiarity of the Beatitudes. Most of you in this room know the Beatitudes, and you've read it, sung it, lived it, talked it, probably for the better parts of your adult lives. And sometimes the familiarity of Scripture can rob of the muscle, of the energy, and of the effectiveness of what God wants to speak in this hour. And so my goal this morning is to really talk and teach. Particularly, I want to talk about how your attitude should be during days of difficulty. How your attitudes should be during days of difficulty. I don't want to be that man, that preacher, that pastor who continually brings doom and gloom on the weekends. I, I, I'm really fighting hard not to be that preacher who every Sunday there's something negative, something painful, something that's heavy, something that's burdensome. But I think that I would be really false in my intentions if we did not address the fact that we're living in some very difficult days. We cannot afford to be the blinded preacher who wants to speak nothing but cotton candy messages that soothes the soul, but is not relevant, all right, are dealing directly with how do we cope at such a time as this. I'm not a betting man. I'm, I don't bet, and I don't believe betting is the will of God for the believer. But if I were a betting man, I believe churches like ours are, are soon to experience the exponential growth because of sticking and staying on truth. Everybody loves a feel-good, ear-tickling message when days are prosperous. But when the days are difficult and the days are dark and moments are tough, people are no longer impressed with the dog and pony show. People are no longer impressed with the warm fuzzies of making me feel good with coffee and donuts on Sunday mornings. Preacher, give it to me straight. Give us the word of God, unadulterated, straightforward, and without compromise. And I believe God in his wisdom knows exactly. And maybe this is why the Bible says the first should be the last, and the last 
should be the first. If the church can hang in there, if the preachers, the pastors, the teachers, the leaders, the laypersons, if we can stay true, if we can continue to minister and sing and song, the glory and the power of God in the room without compromise, as we'll find out today in these next two weeks, three weeks, there is a reward and there is a blessing for those that stay the course. I want to talk this morning uh, how your attitude should be during days of difficulty. How your attitude should be, uh, notice the words, how your attitude should be during the days of difficulty. Now, I don't have no Hebrew for this, and I don't have no Greek or no Latin. I just came up with my own definition, that be attitude means how your attitude should be. Now, that don't, I, you, you won't find that in nobody's notes, cleft notes, text, outlines, or the like. This is, you won't find this in any theological seminaries, and maybe that's why, because it sounds silly, right? But how your attitude should be during these days. Everybody okay? I mean, honestly, I literally went and looked for the, 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 the derivative or the origins or the, the, the definitions of beatitudes. And it comes from a Latin word. Well, we kind of get the word beautiful or beatitude. It comes from a word which means blessed, but it certainly nothing has nothing to do with this title. How should my attitude be during these days of difficulty? And when I use the word attitude, it's going to be synonymous for thinking, for mindset. How should I be thinking with all that I'm experiencing? What is it that I should be doing? What should my mindset be? And I'm using those words for a reason. I've done some deep digging this week and I've done some research because in my heart, I'm concerned about the mental aspect of this season, particularly for black folk. Now you're not gonna hear that at the other churches in the city, right? Those pastors can't talk like I can talk in my comfortable skin and color of skin. I'm concerned about the mental health of us black folk, okay? Now, for those who are watching online and you ain't black, you just hang in there. Keep those Black Lives Matter signs in your yard, all right? Not because they really matter, but you just don't want them to rob y'all in the middle of the night. I, I know the story already. I'm not fooled, but it's, I, I know, I know. I, I, I shouldn't have thrown off. I'm sorry, but Black Lives Matter more than six months ago, why is, why is it all popular now? I know, okay, I don't, Pastor Stephen, why do you keep deviating and distracted with all these signs and stuff? Okay, so, so let me take my seat. How about that, all right? Now, our days today are days of difficulty. As many already know, these are the most historic, unprecedented days of this pandemic era. A day that really tries the souls of men. For black America, they're two deadly, destructive diseases, COVID-19, and then there's the disease of racism. Uh, let, let me just kind of get caught up with the COVID-19 piece. Oh, God. I am more concerned today about COVID-19 than I was three months ago. I think our country is more concerned today as we were three months ago. Yes, we went through the epicenter of New York. We saw the hot spot of Jersey in that northern eastern corridor. And we saw a lot of deaths. We saw a lot of hurt. But, 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 but how do we wrap our arms around this season? And, 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 and this is my little theory, and okay, here, let me get off my little soapbox here. But here's my concern. 
as we now start seeing the hot spot in Florida, Texas, Arizona, California, you know, and, and, and it, seems to be, it seems to be very, very aggressive. Now, I'm beginning to say, are we on this collision course because of this antifada, rebellion, anti-authority, anti-leadership, you know, we're talking about things even the New Testament called out. A generation of people who would not be instructed, who could not be corrected, who couldn't be teachable. There was lawlessness, rebellion, seducing. Are we now having this generation of people who are saying, I'm not wearing a mask. I'm gonna keep doing my thing. I'm there, there 94 at a swimming pool that shouldn't have more than 20. People are going to the parties, going to the club, arrogantly saying we're going to a COVID-19 party and folk are dropping dead after those parties. Okay? Here's my concern. This is my concern. And this is not according to CNN or Fox News or ABC or CBS or NBC. Here's what I'm concerned with. Could it be that God is now judging our country not because of his anger, not because of his judgment, but because of our self-centeredness, our selfishness. Could it be that God is dealing with us because of our arrogance? Because right now, no other country is seeing a surge like we're seeing. In Europe, they're complying to the instructions. China, or Asia, I'm sorry, Asia, other parts of the world, for the most part, maybe with the exception of Brazil, but for the most part, countries are adhering, taking very seriously the instructions, the mandates, and the things needed to stem the tide and bring the issue down. But in America, <laughs> we already feel like we are the cat's meow, can't be told nothing, but now the crash course is we're still in this environment where we're really hot with the government. We don't like the White House. We don't like the governor's mansion. We don't like men in blue. We don't like anything that represents authority. Watch out, watch out. So the collision, the crash course, the, the, the mixture does not make for a good 12 months. Think with me. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, just think with him, just think with him, all right? And so the continuance and the spiking of COVID-19, our worst fears of resurgence, cases and hotspots throughout the country. And once again, how, how do you call this thing? We are rebellious. We are self-centered. We're dealing with the lawlessness, the disobedience, and the anti-authority. We can be uncorrecting, arrogant, unteachable, and unleadable. That seems to be the language of this culture. Stay with me. Stay with me. Uh, if that wasn't enough, how do we deal with the spirit? And I use the word spirit of racism. Because it is just as much as a sin, as much as it's anything else. How do we as African Americans, again, now realize now we're not just dealing with one disease. In our community, we're dealing with two diseases. Because we still got to deal with the, the imagery of injustices and equality on a daily basis. Okay? Let's go a little deeper here. So, so, so you got the sinful and the ungodly spirit of racism, whether it's systemic, whether it's, it's, it's institutional. It could be overt and obvious. I, it could be a group of whites who are silent, right? It could be another group of whites who are saying white power. Somewhere in between, we have to see this. They have to experience this. 
And how many of us would be honest that we're kind of a little concerned that our closest friends who are not African-American are not as, 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 as vocal as we'd like for them to be? My wife and I had, had, uh, we sat, had a lunch meeting with the mayor this, this past uh, Friday at 1 o'clock, in, you know, Mayor Huntersville, that is, and we had a, an hour and a half long discussion, and it was a very good discussion. I even invited him to be online today, and he'll be here with us in a couple of weeks as we have a dialogue, because right when I thought that the whole table talk and Tuesday night table was over with, they said, Pastor, we need some white folks to come up here and talk about what they're thinking through. And I said, you know what, that's a good idea. And so we'll, we'll resume that in a week or so, and, 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 and you know, his comments were, I don't really know what to say. I said, you're a smart man right now. Because truthfully, there's very little you can say. I'm African-American, and the things that I say catch heat. How much more are you? And so people don't quite know what to say, what to do. If you don't say anything, you're wrong. If you say too much, what do they call it, cancel culture? Is that what we call now, cancel culture? Well, some of us have been dealing with cancel culture for years in the church. You say one thing we don't like, we're through. No benefit of the doubt. It's not baseball. Ain't no three strikes you out stuff. One strike, you're through. We're not even going to wait around to see the other side of the story. But now this cancel culture is becoming the norm. And good friendships, I think, are being destroyed. Not all white people are bad. Not all white people are racist. I, I don't believe that. But you know what? I'm sad to say there are preachers who are teaching their flock that all whites are racist. I know that sounds really, really uncouth or maybe even unbelievable, but you'd be surprised the innuendos and the undercurrent and the moves that are being preached even from our pulpits, and it's creating this fear factor, okay? I'm going to get back to Matthew 5 in a moment. I want to kind of lay a little foundation real quick. And so we deal with these things, and on both ends of the spectrum, whether it's in our own homes, whether it's the houses of the governor or even the White House, we're seeing all type of confusion, all type of duplicity, tension, division, disorders, and dysfunctions. I think you would agree. We want to blame everybody and the governor's mansion to the White House, but yet we got some own dysfunctions in our own house. We got some things in our own communities that we need to grapple with and wrestle with. We've got the tensions. Truth is that there's an, there's an unavoidable, an inevitable mixture of the two. They're creating a clash and a collision course in our community for not just this time, but perhaps the times to come. Here's what I'm getting at. When you deal with COVID-19 on one hand, now we got to deal with racism on the other hand. What does that do for our community? Think about the fears, the phobias. Stay with me. I won't be long today. I promise you. The stress, the anxiety, the pressures, the pain. What about the uncertainty, the unknown? the insecurities. Here's what, here's what I'm getting at. My concern is the mental health and balance of our community. Now, they called it three, four, five months ago, but I don't think we really took it serious then. I just thought, and maybe most of us just thought, oh, this little COVID-19 to come and go, and it'd be like anything else. We'll be back to normal life as usual. Well, brothers, sisters, guess what? That ain't happening. Oh, you know, this whole racism piece. Yeah, someone in gas shot and injustice, police brutality. Well, that's happened before and it'll happen again. It'll brush over and we'll get back on the light. Guess what? Ain't going nowhere. Let me bring it home. If the truth be told, some of us are dealing with depression. I'm talking about the early on stages of despair, discouragement, being disheartened. 
And so this past week, God, show me in the word of God something that could deal directly to the culture and the hour that we're living in. And he took me to Matthew chapter 5. Because in Matthew chapter 5, Israel was in a very unique, similar situation. There was Roman oppressed rule. There was governmental oversight. In other words, it was overtaxation, underrepresentation. There were persecutions, prejudices, discriminations, all on all fronts for Israel. And, 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 and if that wasn't enough, if you go back, and we're Matthew chapter 5, right? But if you were to go back to Matthew chapter 4, the latter part of Matthew 4 says, and they were being healed of epilepsy. Those who were paralyzed, those who were demon-possessed, those who had mental illnesses. Jesus came, and he did a lot of ministering, a lot of healing, and therefore the crowds became so large, the crowds became so huge that we go to Matthew 5. What do we see in Matthew 5? Two things. The crowds are outrageous. And I'm praying today that crowds will soon again be outrageous in the church. And I'm praying and I'm believing God that what the enemy meant for evil, God is turning and ordaining prophetically for his good. What else do we see in Matthew 5? Because of the crowds, Jesus, he goes to the Mount of Beatitudes, or what we call uh, the Sermon on the Mountainside. By the way, it wasn't just one sermon. It would have been a series of sermons. That sermon wouldn't have been preached or taught in one day. It would have been several days. Let me mess with the theology for a moment as I take my seat. I'm going to be just like Jesus, and I'm going to take my seat. Verse 1, and he opened his mouth and taught them. Excuse me, verse 1, the Bible reminds us, seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, could it be that one of the greatest messages Jesus ever preached, he actually taught. And not only did he teach, he did it while sitting down. Kind of messes with our history here, because some of the greatest messages we've ever heard preached well, while somebody was standing up showing the alligator shoes and shouting and hollering and, and sliding backwards and grabbing the mic with the B3 organ. But the greatest sermon that Jesus ever preached, he actually taught, and he did it while he was sitting down. So may I take my seat just for a few moments? I just want to be more like Jesus. Amen? Here's my concern in the African-American community is mental illness and mental imbalances. And I got to take a quick moment and really emphasize the young people, the youth and all of this. So give me a little bit of time, because I did some homework, I did some research, I wanted to come very prepared today. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount was not about spiritual gifts, spiritual empowerment, or, or spiritual wonders. It wasn't about the anointing, it wasn't about signs and wonders. The Sermon on the Mount, particularly the Beatitudes, was about your character, your traits, your attitude. When it was all said and done, Jesus wanted the church to say, even, you're, even though you're in a disease-ridden culture, even though we're dealing with discrimination and racism, and I know you want to fight, and I know you want to rebel, and you want to just really go off on everybody who comes your way, but Jesus said, here are eight attitudes, eight traits, eight characteristics, that if you'll follow these, all right, if you'll follow these, there'll be reward, and there'll be a blessing for you. Are you all with me still? I won't be long. In fact, I can't give you all eight today. We're going to give you three today 
and we'll pick it up next Sunday with the next three, and then the, final, the, the following Sunday with the last two. So today, I want to look at the three Beatitudes, the first three Beatitudes. Now remember now, a Beatitude in my world is how your attitude should be. Here's how your attitude should be in the face of job insecurity. Here's how your attitude should be as you're ministering and talking and parenting your children and grandchildren. Here's how your attitude should be when you're suspect because of racist profiling. Here's how your attitude should be when you've got to bury somebody in a COVID-19 distance culture. Number one, Bible says, verse two, he opened his mouth. He tossed him by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to talk just for the next two moments. Let's talk real quick about what it means to be blessed. The word blessed means to be happy, to be fortunate, to be congratulated. Okay, it's a little bit more than bless your child, bless your child. No, no, blessed simply means you will be rewarded if you follow through. Blessed, fortunate, happy, congratulated for the response and the behavior of hearing what or doing what you've heard. So Jesus sits the crowd down. You got to, and by the way, you know, I've been to Israel now 20, I think I'm going on 24 times. I've been to Israel, I've been to, the, I'm not talking about, the Bible experience in Orlando. I'm talking about the real holy land across the world, okay? Uh, 24 times. And when you go, some of you are going with me, but when you go, do you hear me? When you go, one of the staples of that nine-day tour is Capernaum, Capernaum, house, a house of fish. In Capernaum, right outside the little town, is the mountains, where the mountain goes into the Sea of Galilee. So, uh, if you can kind of look at this amphitheater here, the natural amphitheater in Israel was the mountainside. So he could have afforded to be at the base of the mountain, look up to people all over, and preach without a sound system. That's why I can't complain about me not having no sound half the day. I mean, I'm sorry, Brother Crawford, you didn't hear me say that. I, I wasn't throwing off on you. I was just messing around, right? So he preached in a natural amphitheater without sound system, without microphones, right? Remember, the crowd got even larger, and he had to go get on a boat and preach. And so it is at this scene in Capernaum, or what we would say in the West, uh, Capernaum, that he teaches, and he talks, and he instructs. But what's the first thing he says? Blessed, blessed, happy, fortunate are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. The first thing out of Jesus' teaching was this, learn to be humble. Learn to walk in humility. In other words, recognize your dependency and your need for God. To be content with being poor, willing to be emptied of worldly wealth. Oh, my God. Sounds like today, doesn't it? Oh, the football, the sports, the travel, the extra bonuses, the monies, the businesses, the restaurant, all of the things that we're so accustomed to. He says, can you learn how to serve me without these luxuries? Talk with me now. Some of you are missing quarterly bonuses on the job. Some of you are missing dividends, and some of you are missing things that you're so accustomed to with your 401k in this season. He says, blessed are you when you're poor in spirit. Learn how to be content. Speaking of content, Paul says in Philippians 4.12, I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. 
everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry. Are you all listening right now? I've learned how to abound, but I've also learned how to suffer need. I don't know if we know how to suffer. We think we suffer when we're not invited to somebody's party. We think we suffer because someone didn't return our phone call. That ain't suffering. Learn how to suffer. I think we all kind of learn in some things or two about suffering. Blessed are the poor in spirit because there's a reward for you. Peter picks it up in 1 Peter 5 and says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you be submissive one to another. Be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Okay? Stay with me. Everything Jesus taught in Matthew 5 is a counterproduction or a direct opposite of the world Israel was living in. What does that say to you and I today? Everything that he teaches in Matthew 5 is most likely an absolute opposite of how we are taught in this world today. The world teaches us to be prideful, self-indulging, all about us, personal dependence. I am my own man. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not. Our dependency, our faith, our, our hope, is in him. Blessed are those who have nothing but spirit. For theirs is the kingdom. I wish I had time to teach on that one. I don't, but the kingdom is unlimited access, unlimited authority, unlimited anointing. It is a lifestyle of influence and of impact. God gives you an authority, a dominion on the earth to walk as sons and daughters of God. Whole nother message. But you will have the kingdom, righteousness, peace, and joy. Romans 14, 17. In the Holy Ghost. That, my friend, is the kingdom of God. That, my friend, is living in true humility. Not about the car you drive. Not about the name brand luxury handbag you carry. It's not about the zip code you live in. It's not about the degrees that hang on your wall. All of the wonderful achievements, and I think you should have many of them, but don't let them have you. You ought not be cracking up and breaking down in a season like this because you know where your hope is anchored. You know where your life is in him that we live and move and we have our being. Number two, blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. I'm almost finished. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. I, you know, if, if, if nothing else comes out of this season, I will always have to remember how I buried some of my closest loved ones and friends in this season. I still to this day cannot get out of my mind having to bury an elder in this church and a dear friend of ours and a social distancing virtual burial. To this day, I still think about having to bury that young man in a very unorthodox, untraditional way, knowing that he's in a hospital less than a mile and a half from where I live and can't visit him. To have buried Mother Crawford See her go home to be with the Lord, but yet have to honor all of the social practices and distancing. To hear how many of you all have lost loved ones and couldn't drive or fly to New Jersey or to Texas or, 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 or to Tennessee, but you had to say your goodbyes over the phone. Blessed are those who mourn. I'm starting to wonder, are we mourning with one another 
as the way the Lord wanted us to. See, mourning is more than just an emotional moment during the funeral. But true mourning is mourning over the sins of a country, mourning over the sins of the church, mourning over the sins of the world. It is having a compassion, having a burden when souls perish, to weep over them as Christ wept over Jerusalem. You remember the story. He looks at Jerusalem and he begins to cry. The, the, the smallest version, uh, verse in the scripture, Jesus wept. And as that, that, in fact, that was when he was with Lazarus, of course, but he looks over the city and he weeps. Why? Because he sees a city has, that has not discerned the move of God. I kind of wonder sometimes, does he weep over our churches because we've got the praise, we've got the worship, we've got the facilities, we've got the laborers, but where is his presence? Who's weeping over souls in the church? In my personal Bible study, I'm looking at Matthew, excuse me, I'm looking at Acts right now, I'm in Acts 18, but going back to Acts 17, man, I read a scripture where the Bible says Paul was provoked in his spirit when he went to Athens. He was provoked in his spirit because he saw so many idols and so many false gods. And I said, God, there cannot be a true revival until people are provoked over sin. I don't want to deviate and get distracted too much right now, but we are being blindsided, hooked, winked, bamboozled, even in our own black narrative. And we don't realize that we're partnering strategically with sin, compromise. And you think that makes God happy? You think that pleases God? I had a preacher, a Pentecostal, Kojic preacher, who wanted to remind me, oh man, come on, there's more than life than just abortion and homosexuality. I sat on that for two weeks. And I had to go back after praying and saying, sir, shame on you. You need to get some courage as a preacher. He's probably watching this broadcast right now. I'm going to say it again. And I realize that there are more sins out there. But one thing's for sure, if you don't address homosexuality and abortion in the black community, there will be no black community. Okay? And that coming from a Pentecostal preacher makes me wonder sometimes. All right, stage is. Oops, it almost came out. But thank God for love and peace and joy. I started to use a sissy word, but I wouldn't do that. I would not do that in a text like this. I promise you, I won't say that. I won't. No, I won't. Yep, yep, or do I want? Okay, so where were we? See, I'll quit asking all these questions while I'm trying to preach, okay? Zephaniah 3.18, I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly who are among you, to whom is reproach is a burden. My friends, we have to go back to understanding the value of mourning with each other. It's not popular. It's not sexy. It's not something you long to do. Man, can you imagine families right now that are isolated in quarantine who have no one to mourn with them? Can you imagine what it would be like in your space, in your world, to not have somebody checking up on you, someone ministering to you? We need each other. Why? Because the reward is you shall be comforted. Once again, everything that Jesus teaches here goes diametrically opposite of what Rome or what Israel was experiencing. They were experiencing a world of happiness at any cost. And Jesus wanted them to know that every day is going to be a holiday. 
Not every day is just going to be a one uh, uh, snow cone, ice cream, go to the park, walk the dog. Everything is blessed, powerful, beautiful. No, there's going to be some days of hurt, pain, and mourning. Learn to deal with it. Learn to accept it. Third and finally, and I close. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, let me just take my time with this, because oftentimes we equate meekness with weakness. I know you have your mask on, but just say with me, meek is not weak. Come on, say that one more time. Say, meek is not weak. So when Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, here's what he's saying. Blessed, not those who are weak, because there was nothing weak about Jesus. Somebody will tell Don Lemon, there's nothing erroneous, weak, or sinful, or mistake about Jesus. And you need to quit watching so much CNN, by the way. I know I'm not, I don't have that on my notes, and I know I shouldn't be saying that, but every time you watch CNN, it's always Armageddon. It's always the this is the last day on the earth. Oh, everybody's there. And you're letting these self-proclaimed uh, switch hitters and everything else tell you and say this and say that about the world. And last week, oh, I just want the world to know Jesus uh, self-admitted that he wasn't perfect. Well, Don Lemon, what Jesus are you reading about? What Bible verse do you have to compare that text to? But when you don't know the word of God, when you are bamboozled and sucked into every political conversation, you able to read the Bible, close up and say, maybe he's right. No, wait a minute now. Between him and Anderson Cooper, these are two full grown behind men, men who need to act like men and be a man and go back and look at the word. All right, I'm not advocating Fox News just yet. All I'm saying is be careful of the things you poison yourself with because the Bible says a little leaven, leaven is a whole lump. You'll be wondering why you're feeling some type of way because of the stuff you keep hearing on and on and on again. Blessed are those who are kind, considerate, and they are submitted. Remember now, remember, in this world, as it is today, as it was 2,000 years ago, Israel was dealing with a climate of power and prestige. The whole mantra from Rome was power, position, and prestige. Jesus said, we're going opposite of that. In the world, he who is the greatest is the first who dog eat dog and cut and connive and claw and scratch to get to the top. But in the kingdom, you want to go to the top, you'll learn how to serve. You'll learn how to be the slave of all. You'll learn how to be submitted to all. So the meek would have been those who had an attitude of serving, of, of, of being kind and courteous, hospitable. The meek are those who quietly submit themselves to God, his word, his house, and his leaders. This is a message we don't like. If you cut on the news, the media, you read, you will find out we are living in an anti-authority generation, anti-leadership generation. I said it a few weeks ago, I'll say it again, somewhere back in 2007, 2008, when we had the big collapse of government, the big collapse of corporations, the big collapse of banks, the big collapse of colleges and universities, it seemed like every principal or, or chancellor or, or CEO or, or whoever was in a, they would have an immorality in their lives and people lost trust in leadership, people lost trust in institutions. And consequently, we have a generation who just doesn't trust leadership, whether it's the government, the school, or the church, right? 
So now when the leadership says, wear your mask, we ain't wearing no mask. Leadership says, distance yourself, go quarantine. We ain't got no time to distance yourself, go quarantine. We our own people. And could it be? Even God even allowed a dust storm to come through about two weeks ago. We still wouldn't put no mask on. We are somebody else that could, anyway, I'm trying to tell you, we somebody else. I got to say this and I got to close out. So, so here's, here, here's how I'd like to close today. If you walk in meekness, you'll inherit the earth. What does that really mean? Uh, you're, able to, you're able to bear provocation without being bitter. Some of you are dealing with this online. You're trying to be a light. You're trying to be an example. Some of you are trying to minister to your family, whether it be your siblings, your, 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 your spouse, your, your children. And it's not easy. But you cannot get bitter in times like these. Blessed are the meek. There is a reward for being controlled in your emotions. There is value of not being weak, but being submitted, being kind. You have to learn to be kind and courteous. And if you do that, God says, everything you wanted, I'll give it to you. Everything you desire. I don't have time. Just write down Psalm 37. I don't have time. But write down Psalm 37, you'll find in verse 11, that same scripture that Jesus quoted. Jesus basically quoted the Old Testament and said, when you are meek, you will inherit the earth. There's not a dream, a vision, an aspiration, a goal, a desire that God won't give you. But you have to do it his way, not your way. Are you with me still? I know the world says get power, prestige, and position. But all that don't mean a hill of beans. If inside there's not a character or a beatitude, Let me bring it home with this. I read a couple of articles as it relates to mental health in the black community. One article is this glaring, bad, negative news. The other article actually was good news. So I think I'll close with the balance of the both. I, I won't be able to read all of them. In fact, I do want to quote and cite these because I don't believe in plagiarism. Uh, so uh, the, the truth of the matter is, this first one is from Michigan Public Health. The Michigan Public Health News Center written by Rihanna Anderson, surviving the coronavirus while being black. Pandemic heavy tolls on African-American mental health. I'm not gonna give it all to you, but just let me read a couple of lines that you understand what she's saying. Because here's my concern about us, right? Again, you won't hear this off of churches across town, but you can hear it here and you can go out and tell it proudly and, and, and with authority. Because I'm concerned that we deal with things others just don't deal with. Understand this real quick. Uh, black communities in the United States of America, we've been disproportionately affected by the numbers of coronavirus cases and death. At the same time, recent coverage of black Americans who were killed have garnered national attention. What are the main stressors? Here we go real quick. Black communities are being faced with stressors that impact them on a structural, that is, limited resources, interpersonal, that is, disruption of shared resources, and individual, that is, compromised coping levels. Wealth disparities between black communities are and others are stark, such as less disposable income and generational wealth. And so, man, and I'm just going to give you the cliff notes. And so, in other words, we deal with a lack of resources, whether it's individual, whether it's shared, whether it's community. Uh, the, the, the article goes on to say that the second plague or the second issue is racism. Black adults and youth impact because of racism virtually every element of the mental and physical health. Here's a statement that I underline. The idea that I may not make it home or the idea that I may not be here tomorrow is pervasive for black residents 
uh, whether it be by the hands of police officers or by the surmise of COVID-19 outbreak. Let me talk to you for a moment real quick. We think about these things more than any other community. The combination and the collision and the timing is not good. She goes on to write and say certain things about other different stressors, uh, but at the end of the day, black people have been hit on all sides with threats of loss of life. It is exhausting, depleting, depressing, and absolute and additional stressor. Now, that, that's dealing with just obviously the whole thing about the combination of what I've just preached about. She goes on to say this, though. There's something called medical racism. Medical racism is, or the demissal, denial, degradation of black people seeking health care. And she goes on to this whole long conversation about our mortality rates, our treatment, transmissions, and its effect on our psychological well-being. In other words, we lack, obviously, the, 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 the resources. We lack the disparities. We see the disparities. On top of that, we got a culture that, listen, we don't like to talk about mental illness publicly, not black folk. We don't like to air out our laundry publicly. Come on, talk to me now. We use the word like crazy, retarded. We, in our community, you know, somebody had a spell on them, so-and-so, uh, what's the word we always use? We, I won't say it all, but we, we use words in our own conversation about our mental imbalances. And it's taboo for us to get therapy. It's taboo for us to go see somebody uh, with, that's addressing mental issues. So this whole comprehensive attack can be devastating for us in this season like nowhere else. I can't finish all of this, but just know that this is some of the beginnings. Again, if you want to go to the article, Michigan Public Health News Center, uh, just write Rihanna Anderson is the author. She goes on a lot depth. But I will say this, because she talks about children in this. She says, black children are among the most brilliant, beautiful, and bright people among us. Yet this global pandemic may be exacerbated challenges for them. Black youth often have large network of providers, from teachers to mentors to family members. Their deprivation of in-person contact may reduce the amount of support they're receiving from their extended network. In other words, this extended network is critical for black children's emotional wellness. Coaches can't be here. Teachers in school can't be there. Counselors can't be there. Parent now has to work outside the house, busy inside the house. So much is going on. What about that black child? What about their mental well-being? So again, as we have things like we're having kingdom calls and conversations for the black youth, have your kids on there. Have your grandkids a part of that. Wow, they don't feel like it. Make, make them feel like it. Because this is for their own emotional well-being. So this is the dim and grim news, right? Let me give some good news before I get out of here. And, 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 and this is from the Brookings Institute. And it, it actually gives a different picture about black folk. In fact, I can't read all of this, but what it says is, of course, we deal with the mortality rates and inequities and all the disproportionate COVID-19, blah, 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 blah. Uh, 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 African-Americans, we are overrepresented with essential jobs in the health sector, transportation sector, social distancing is almost impossible for many of us because we got to go to work, blah, blah, blah. But two things come out of this big article. Number one, it says, interesting, these people were surprised to know that black folk would be better off optimistic-wise because, number one, in the job sector, we're used to being the last hired in the first fire. So we're used to being in industries where the turnover is pretty great. So we're not as fearful of this season as others would be who have greater job security. We know how to adapt. In fact, the article went on to say, when it comes to happiness and joy, we have a better opportunity to be optimistic about the future because of our historic bouts with inequity, inadequacies and inequalities, our historic bout with struggle in community. 
It says, interesting, that both African-Americans and Hispanics together, we combine, are more optimistic than our counter-white friends because we're used to going through as a community. We're used to struggling as a people. And so this COVID-19, man, we have been through a thousand COVID-19s in our seasons, right? This racism, it is hurts and it's powerful and it's painful, but this ain't the first time we'll be the last time. So there is a resilience. There's a strength that you can continue to cultivate if you know what these Beatitudes are about. My closing thought simply is this. Blessed to be rewarded, to be happy, are you when you have the right attitude. Bible says think on these things. Come on, praise team. Think on these things. If they're lovely, full of value, full of joy, full of good report, Paul says in Philippians 4, think on these things. Bible reminds us in Isaiah 26, I will give you perfect peace whose mind stayed on thee. Come on, lay your hands on your head and say, Lord, keep my mind. Lord, keep my mind. Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh, so is he. You got to make a decision that I'm going to think on pleasant, biblical, positive, scriptural, godly, kingdom things. My attitude should be of humility. It should be of wholeness. My attitude should be of honoring and supporting and being kind. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed those that mourn. Those are the first three of the Beatitudes. We'll pick it up next Sunday with the next three. Would you stand to your feet at this time? I don't know about you, but I'm asking God to keep my mind in this season. I wish I had somebody I could talk to on this morning. He could talk back to me. I gotta be, and I don't know how many of y'all are caregivers in the room. In fact, if you are a Christian, you should be a caregiver. Whether you're on the front line, the classroom, the nurse's office, praise team. They say that caregivers in this season have an extra double concern. Because you got to care for so many others and still care for yourself. But the problem is you care so much for other people in this season, you have no time, energy, or strength to care for yourself. Sounds like being a preacher to me. You pass everybody else, and you make sure everybody else is living right, and you make sure everybody else is being cared for, and you make sure everybody else has their needs met. But oftentimes, your own family struggles, your own marriage struggles, your own children go without. So if you are a caregiver here, you got to be extra careful to make sure you're not depleted, exhausted, and tired. Okay? If you're parenting in this season, you are dealing with things my wife and I are dealing with. Whether it's our oldest son, our middle son, or our, our, our daughter. Some of you all, like us, there was no traditional graduation. And you think about what life would be like for that child who didn't get celebrated traditionally in his or her high school. That's gotta be something to contend with. If they go into college, like my daughter and my son, they're not even sure if they're going to go to school in a month from now. If they do, the word on the street is they're going to be sent right back home. Who wants to go to school as a freshman and miss that transitional experience? Some of you all have older adult kids. They don't know if they're going to have a job or not.
Can they, can they pay their rent or not? Can they pay their car note or not? And guess what? If you're a parent, you know what that means, don't you? Uh, ain't nobody over here saying nothing to me, y'all. Uh, if you are the parent, you know what that means, don't you? Yes. Ain't no bailout plan. Uh, you are the bailout plan. What do you call it? The CARES Act? You are the I CARES Act. Right? So this is playing a toll on everybody. I have found myself in the last few days saying, God, keep my mind. Keep my mind. Because I want to be strong for them. I want to be strong for you all. I need to be strong for this facility right now. And all of the relationships, all of the businesses, all of the strategies. And I find myself saying, God, I'm just tired. I don't know if I have the energy. But last I read, is he that is in the Lord is greater than anybody who's in the world. Greater is he, First John 4 and 4, that is in you, than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let this mind, let this mind, let this mind be in you, but also in Christ Jesus. God, keep our minds. Keep our minds mentally strong, vibrant, sharp, discerning. May we be meek. May we be poor in spirit. May we mourn with those that mourn. 